Finances can be complicated, but they don't have to be. I break down financial topics that may seem complex and overwhelming so you can start taking action on your financial goals. I'm Ari Talbot, and it all starts here on Personal Finance Redefined. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Personal Finance Redefined. If you've been enjoying it, please share it with your friends. I hope to help as many people as possible, and I hope you've liked it so far. So today's episode is going to be a bit, little bit of a longer episode, and that's because we've got a great listener question. In fact, we've got a few of them. So today's all about answering those questions surrounding investing, how to invest, where to invest for the best return, where to invest for the short term, long term, what's happening with GameStop, a little bit of an update with everything. So investing can be confusing. Not can be confusing, it is confusing. And sometimes there's just so much going on in our head when it comes to taxes and budgeting and cash flow and estate planning, insurance, that it's easy to go crazy. So let's just hop right into these questions. So remember first what investing in a stock is. So when you invest in a stock, you're literally owning the company. You're now a part-time owner. If you invest in Apple stock and it does well, you get to participate in those gains. Now, the downside is if it does poorly, you participate in the losses as well. So this is different than a bond. A bond, you're lending money to a company. Let's, for the same example, use Apple. So with a bond, you're going to be lending money to Apple for a set period of time, and they're going to pay you interest for the loan. So what that means is if you gave Apple a loan of $100, let's say they pay you $5 a year, for saying thanks for that $100 in return, we're gonna give you five bucks a year. And then after a set number of years, let's just say 10, they give you back the $100. So you made interest of that $5 every year, 10 years later, they say, thanks for that loan, we're gonna now give you back the $100. So the benefit of bonds are that if Apple does poorly, you don't really care, it doesn't affect you at all. The con is that if Apple shoots up, you don't get to participate in any of those gains. And so over time, stocks tend to outperform bonds. And so the reason you hold them both in your portfolio are oftentimes only stocks if you're trying to grow and oftentimes only bonds if you're trying to be conservative, but it's really completely customized to what your goals are because they offer different benefits. Stocks tend to go up when bonds tend to go down. And in, in, in 2008, bonds were up when stocks were way down. So there's different reasons to hold both. So the first question I'm gonna start with is that we received is what is a sensible amount to invest? Well, perhaps this is gonna be annoying, but the answer is it depends. And the reason is simple. Your finances are different from that of your neighbor, from that of your boss, your sibling. So what, what amount makes sense to invest is relative, but that doesn't help us know what I should invest. It's not helping the listener. So what I tell people is that the amount that is sensible to invest is the amount that you're comfortable investing each month that's left over after taxes, expenses, all the groceries, the gas, fun, whatever it is you want to do. The key is investing on a consistent basis. So what's sensible is what amount you can confidently invest every month. That's the number that's sensible for you to invest. And if you have a great month, awesome, invest more. But commit to a number and stick to it. That could be $100 a month, $500 a month, $1,000 a month, $5,000, $10,000. Whatever it is, each month, try to be consistent. Question two, how likely am I to see a big return in 12 months? I love this question, and once again, it depends. Let's take a recent example, GameStop. GameStop has been in the news lately with all the drama going on. If I got into that, that'd be a two-hour episode. But for good reason, 
it, we'll just get to the the nitty gritty today. But it's up huge, six thousand percent, even more, and it's growing by the minute. By the time I'm done recording today's episode, it's probably going to be up more or down a whole lot more. So, what happened last Wednesday? Well, the Wednesday of this week, well, it dropped thirty six percent in one day. So let's just say you're an investor and you say, I'm going to get into GameStop. Looks like it's doing pretty well. There's a lot of hype around it. Well, if you just invested, let's just say 5000 bucks, you'd be down 36% of that. Not quite half, but almost half that 5000 36% of it went down in one day. And so all that hard-earned money, do you want it to do that? Well, if you're trying to, in a sense, gamble... Yeah, because that's what this is. So the question is not how likely am I to see a big return. The question is how much risk are you willing to take? Do you want to invest all the money you work for in one company? Because the risk is that your money could go to zero, could go almost to zero, or could shoot up. You could make a killing. You could do much better than my diversified portfolio is going to do. But the benefit of investing is you could actually do both. You could have a set percentage of what you invest in these fun gambling-like investments, and there's nothing wrong with gambling as long as you know that when you're doing it, you truly are gambling. And there's educated gambling and ways to look at financial statements and make sure that all the research of the company is going great. But at the end of the day, consumers, people buying and selling, well, that you can't control, and that dictates the price. So if it goes to zero, you don't want to lose all the money you worked for, but you have other investments that are growing so that it's not like everything you work for is dependent on one company. Question three, how much is sensible to invest in one company? Once again, it depends your thoughts on that company. You could read financial statements all day, but as you advanced investors know, the price of a stock isn't just about the financials or the fundamentals or the technicals. It's about how consumers feel about the stock. And remember, whenever you're buying a stock, you're buying from someone else who's selling. So when you think there's a great opportunity to buy, they think it's a great opportunity to sell. There's a set number of shares. Remember that. Question four, should I do extensive research on the company I wish to invest in? Now, this might be contrary opinion, but I would say no. And the reason being is you have a job. Oftentimes people who are investing, they're day trading. Yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense to invest and make sure you're doing all the due diligence and research for the company. But likely if maybe like this listener, if you have a separate job, you're just hoping your money works hard for you so that all that money you work so hard for, well, it can grow. And so if you want to full-time turn it into a full-time job and manage investments regarding financial statements and tax returns and making sure you're following the board of directors and what laws are being ta- passed, well, great, then do that. But you know what's crazy is history has shown investing in a low-cost diversified mutual fund, which is just a bunch of stocks has or bonds, has actually performed better than individually picking stocks. Now, not not in the short term, which is what we all love to read about and see that GameStop went up 6,000% because my my diversified portfolio is not going to do that, but it's going to consistently grow 8, 10, 12% over time. So what over time, diversified funds win, but in the short term, if you're trying to make a quick buck, well, individual funds can be a whole lot more fun. Investing over the long term isn't most most necessarily the most fun but it gets results historically. So when it comes to investing in a company, if there's one that doesn't align with your values, don't invest in it. If there are certain companies you like, great, own those. But if you invest in the S&P 500 index, the 500 largest companies in the US, for example, you're investing in Apple, Tesla, Google, things you use every day, and they're all trying to innovate and grow. 
doing the research on every company may take you 40 years on all of that when you know the power and, and you have a belief that they're going to try to invest and grow because a main reason that they are growing is through shareholders. We, we are investing in the company because we think it'll grow. The question to ask yourself at the end of this is, do I believe in general companies are trying to innovate and grow? If so, great. Investing is a great spot for that. Should I invest, next question, should I invest $100 in one company or $1 in 100 companies? Well, if you invest $100 in one company and it does poorly, you may turn out to have $5 or even $0. Now, if you were to invest $1 in 100 companies, hypothetically, and let's say five go out of business, which is even more unlikely, you don't care because the other 95 companies are growing for you. Let's say you hear of the next big thing. Should you invest in it? Well, if that's something you think will grow, absolutely, but it depends on how much of your hard-earned income you want to put towards that. I personally don't invest more than 7% of my investments to this fun gambling money, I almost like to say, but I'll probably never hit it crazy big, and I'm okay with that because I know that the value of diversifying my money over time, and I know I'm fully able to reach my goals with that return. And honestly, we hear about the Tesla and fun stocks that grow like crazy and GameStop right now, but the reality is diversified funds can get great performance, limited risk, and that risk may not even be needed. So first ask yourself, why are you investing? Is it for a home, early retirement? What are you trying to do? From there, that's when you decide how to invest. Next question, what are the best, easiest platforms to use? Well, an example, if you were to invest $5 10 years ago, you'd have $0. Ari, how does that make any sense? I actually... Ari, you'd have negative. I'd have negative five dollars. Ari, that what are you talking about? Well, ten years ago, I promise I'll relate it. Ten years ago, if you invested, there was a transaction cost, meaning every time you were to buy, you had to pay, and every time you were to sell a stock, you'd have to pay. Well, ten years ago, let's say there was a transaction cost of five dollars to buy. Well, there's five dollars to sell. So if you had ten dollars, or if you had five dollars, well, it doesn't matter how well that does. You're still going to have to take. $5 to buy the fund. So if you started with five and you have to pay five just to get to play the game, now you have zero. And then you're going to want to sell. Well, now you're negative. So nowadays, the financial world has moved a ton away from this. You can use apps like Robinhood to buy and sell without those transaction costs. Is it easy to get your money back out of your investments? Well, yes, you, it depends on the investment. Generally, the more illiquid, which means not easily touchable, well, that's going to grow more because you're you're setting it away to grow in the most possible ways possible. That's where retirement accounts are, are great. So yes, you can get your money back, but for that, it's going to take more time. If you want to invest in an individual account, something that's taxed when you have to pay on the, the gains, what are known as capital gains, well, yeah, you can get that money out in two days, two, three days on average, but your money is going to be taxed on that. So it really comes down to what you're hoping to accomplish once again. So you can, for, for example, if you were to invest $5 in a taxable account, an individual account, and it grows to 10, you owe $5 of taxes. You can get that money out three days, maybe a little bit shorter, maybe a little bit more, give or take. Well, if you're in a retirement account like a Roth IRA, you can't touch the money till 59 and a half, but that money's tax-free. So it depends what you're hoping to do. What are the tax implications of investing and when should you be concerned? There's no reason to ever be concerned, is my opinion, as long as you're informed. So when you sell a stock, the government wants a piece of that. Now, if you sell a stock within a year, you pay ordinary income tax. That's the tax of your income tax bracket. That could be up to 
at least for last year. So if you bought Apple for 100 and you sold it for 200, you owe $100 of gains, which would be 37 hypothetically. If you waited one year from the date you sold it, you get what's called the long-term capital gains rate. That's either 0%, 15%, or 20% depending on your income level. So when you're investing, it's about strategizing what your income is so you can maximize what you keep, not just what you make. What's the most sensible thing to do for the most lucrative return in 10 years? Fun question. If you ask this question to 100 advisors, you'd get 100 different answers. So, well, you could say right now Tesla would be a great investment. It could only go up, right? Well, what if the government shut down electric cars? Now, this is not going to happen. Likely the opposite. But what if Elon Musk sold Tesla to a new owner who turned the business around and all of a sudden performance isn't where it was at one point? Well, there's a risk involved with that. If you invested in a diversified fund, in my opinion, that's the best way to receive a great return. Here's what to note. In the last 10 years, the stock market, the S&P 500, it grew around 10% a year for the last 10 years from 2010 to 2020. Now, it didn't ever get exactly 10% in any given year, but it averaged that. It's easy to say that's the best, but Ari, what if we looked at the 10 years before that? How did that do? Well, great question. If you invested from 2000 to 2010, just 10 years prior to the last example, you know what the average return was? Negative 1.3% on average. That's right. If you had $100,000, if you had a million dollars in 2000 and invested in the market, well, if you took the money out in 2010, you would have had $910,000. So when you talk about returns, it depends on the time frame you're looking at. So in some years, it's going to be up much more. But in 2008, it went down 40%. So if you needed your money in 2008, well, that sucks. It was down 40%. You don't want to have to take out at the bottom. But if you waited one year, it rebounded fully and then even more so and then went on 10 years of great returns. So my point is when you're investing, it just comes down to time horizon. If you have time to wait before you touch the funds, invest more aggressively. Look at retirement accounts. But know that in any given year, the money could be up a ton or down a ton. But that's the risk when chasing big returns. So that's all the questions that were submitted today for this episode. If you think this is helpful or if there are other questions you want answers to, I'd be happy to answer them. I love answering the questions. I get to hear what you really want to hear about. And you can submit your question at my website, personalfinanceredefined.co, under the Submit Your Question tab. And if you want to talk about your individual financial situation, this is what I do each and every day for my clients. Let me know if you think that would be helpful. Please share with your friends and family if you thought this was helpful. And if not, let me know what you would like to hear instead. Thanks, and I'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Personal Finance Redefined podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know if there's anything in particular you would like me to discuss by submitting a question at personalfinanceredefined.co. That's personalfinanceredefined.co. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, quick disclaimer here. Please be smart about this, and before taking any action, consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It's for informational purposes only.